Welcome to the Jay Kim Show. This is your host, Jay Kim. I am an investor, author, and fitness entrepreneur. And for the first time in Asia, I sit down with the world's most brilliant minds in business, investing, and entrepreneurship. You'll learn all the secrets, strategies, and formulas to becoming a successful entrepreneur directly from the masters. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insight to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Today's guest is Megan Casey. Megan is the founder and CEO of PAC. PAC is a social network for dogs and dog owners, like a Facebook for dogs. Megan started PAC in 2013 when she realized that dog owners were an underserved segment of the technology community. Dog owners were marketed to but not connected with each other in a meaningful way. Megan is a very seasoned startup founder. Before founding PAC, she was a co-founder of Squidoo with none other than marketing guru Seth Godin. Megan was responsible for all the strategy and product vision and growth of that company. By the time she left Squidoo to start PAC in 2014, Squidoo was the 38th most visited website in the world. So she has a wealth of knowledge that she brings to the table, and she shares a lot of that knowledge with us today in today's episode. Let's jump right in. Hi, Megan. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm really excited to have you on as the guest of uh, Asia's one of Asia's first uh, podcasts on entrepreneurship, if not the first. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. Nice. Thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited. And um, for our audience out here in Asia, why don't you just introduce yourself and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Uh, so I'm a, a startup person based out of San Francisco. I'm down in uh, San Jose right now, and specifically in a town called Los Gatos, which is funny because it means the cats. And I'm mm. running a dog company. So I always get a laugh out of the fact that here in the U.S., it's, uh, the pets industry is a pretty big deal. And I'm actually sure it's pretty big in Asia, too, uh, all over the place. I know there's interesting pet ownership statistics rising in China and all over the place. So uh, yeah, I'm running a, a company called PAC. It's packdog.com. And it's my second startup. Uh, the one before this was Squidoo, which I had uh, started with a guy named Seth Godin, who is a little bit more popular and famous than I am. <laughs> yeah, a guy named Seth Godin. <laughs> uh, uh, this, this one guy named Seth. Yeah. Uh, and before that, I was in book publishing. So it's kind of a, a non-traditional path to doing the whole startup founder CEO thing. So that'll be something we can talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, that's fascinating. How how exactly, if we can just dive right in, how did you yeah, go from being in the the sort of book publishing, a very traditional sort of industry, to becoming a startup entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, book publishing is uh, the the art and and business of it is pretty ancient. You know, it's um, people have been books and getting them published and circulating them for forever. But so it is an, an extremely old uh, industry that was also a very corporate one. I mean, a very, very large, I worked for Random House and I worked for Penguin Group and went there straight out of college. And I really loved the idea of shaping, uh, it, it was sort of like venture capital for ideas is what I was doing is that mm. uh, I was in business books and somebody would say, hey, I've got this idea for a book. And we would decide whether we'd invest in it or not, right? We'd say, here's your advance and here's how we want to package it. And here's what, how we want to see if there's a good product market fit. And 
what's the sales strategy going to be like? And how do we make sure that the content matches the audience? And it's really, it was kind of a, a, a crash course in how do you create products and how do you create mm. a, a startup? Uh, now, obviously, I didn't have to worry too much about the P&L <laughs> for myself there because I was part of a big, a big company. But I, I loved doing that, and I got to work with so many CEOs and so many marketers and entrepreneurs, and you know that's how I got to know Seth. And I worked with Guy Kawasaki and John Battelle and a bunch of uh, big names out oh. here in Silicon Valley. And and then I was going to go get my my MBA at Stanford. I was ready to go and pack up and move from New York to Palo Alto. And uh, Seth said, "You know what? Please don't go into debt to get your MBA." Instead, let's we're going to start a company together, and you're going to get your MBA that way by training on the job. That's awesome. So that was a really, really non-traditional, but really, I'm so grateful for that because that changed everything for me. Man, yeah, it's not often where when someone when a Seth Godin of this world offers you, you know, basically a mentorship slash, you know, hands-on <laughs> program. Yeah, <laughs> to, I mean, to, to, to mold your future. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, he knew that, you know, if you find a, I think I was 25, it was like, if you find a, a hungry 25-year-old, there's not a whole lot that they're not going to, they're, they're not going to do to make their company fly. You know, yeah. there's no distractions, there's no kids, there's no nothing. You're just going to work your tail off the whole time. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's really interesting when you say that your experience there uh, was very similar to like, almost like running a VC where you're investing yeah. in ideas. I, I find that fascinating. And that, that's the first time that you've actually explained that to me in that context. So, so that's interesting. Thank you for that. So I'm, but it seems like if you were ready to move out to, to, you know, Silicon Valley, you probably would have ended up doing something startup related anyway. Is that right? I think so. Was that kind of like an itch that was always that you wanted to scratch? No. So I had no concept of the sort of inside baseball type of meta mm -hmm. game of, you know, out here, everybody's talking about startups and there's the lean startup and there's startup methods and there's startup schools. And, right. you know, it's, it, it's an exhaustive conversation about everybody's got to be a founder and run a startup. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't exposed to that because I had spent so much time in New York and, and this was before really New York had much of a whole tech scene going on. Mm -hmm. But I had always, I don't know that I was, and you know, there's a, a common question of are entrepreneurs made or born, um, yep. you know, can, can they be self-made? And I, I was not coming from a family of people who had necessarily started their own businesses, but I definitely came from a family of people who took risks and right. the, it's still a family of people who are intensely curious. And it's like those two attributes, I think, make you sort of look at the world and go, well, I, this thing doesn't exist or I wish something would work differently. And so I'm going to make that happen. Uh, and, and I guess that the root for me is what makes me want to start companies and run companies or help other people do so. So I think that right. that leads me there, but it certainly wasn't a, a conscious choice where I said, you know, God, I got to go raise money and, and, <laughs> and do the, the, the typical world, yeah. like routine. Yeah. 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 That wasn't where I was coming from. Well, you, you bring up an interesting point when, when you talk about your family, because I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we explore in, on this podcast directly is being Asian-based and, and the audience is very Asian and traditional Asian sort of values uh, are, are more risk adverse, I would think. Uh, it's getting a little bit better now, but particularly sort of my parents' generation, my parent, there were a lot of first generation immigrants into the U.S. And so 
for them, they were quote unquote entrepreneurs. They had to be, but it was not by choice. Right. It was by for survival, right? And so right. for them, education and going into like the corporate system, that was that was the out. That was the freedom that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. So if I had told my parents, oh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna go move out west and go live on ramen noodles and and try to build a startup, they'd be like, okay, get out of my house right now. Like everything sure. I've worked for, <laughs> you're throwing away. So I think that's that the dynamic plays based on sort of the support that you get from your family to uh, to go out and seek that path. Uh, not having said that, there are, like you said, there are some boring entrepreneurs who no matter what, they don't care. They're, they're, they're going to do whatever it takes to, to, they're always just thinking that way. They're businessmen. They want right. to, businessmen or women. And they, right. they're, 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 they're going to be entrepreneurs, whether they die trying or, or what have you. So, um, but it's, it's good that you had the upbringing that's more open to, to taking risk and uh, and and I, I I I gather that your parents were supportive and and are still supportive of what you do. Yeah, and it, and it's interesting too because uh, they're you know my my dad has always been in commercial real estate. Um, well, he he actually was a, a physicist, and then wow. he decided that science was too boring for him because <laughs> uh, there weren't <laughs> enough people. There wasn't enough room for. Uh, just joking around and you know if, if something failed it would be catastrophic and he just wanted to kind of try stuff and fail try stuff and fail right. and so he got into uh, computer sales way back when and he got into commercial real estate so for a very long time like 40 years commercial real estate and uh he was constantly offered a salaried position where it's like hey you know come and join cushman wakefield or whatever the company may be right. we'll pay you uh, a salary but that means that you are going to leave behind whatever commission you sh- you could make off of a big sale because mm. uh, he's doing you know huge buildings um right. in san diego and in san francisco and all over the place and he always said no i don't want to ever be a salaried type of guy uh because you know if i sell a building even if it takes 7 years for that 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 sale to happen i get a per, a, a commission that's way larger than any salary is ever going to be yeah so i grew up very aware of you know there'd be 5 6 7 years where he's made zero <laughs> zero dollars and you know then there's a whole lot of stress in the family and then one one deal would close and it would save our bacon <laughs> so it was yeah. like that's I was very exposed to risk uh mm. but he always did it very responsibly and you know they uh it, it's not like it was it was wild risk but right. um that made it a little bit easier for me to say you know what I I don't want to always have the the salaried position doing something that someone else prescribes for me and then just trying to climb a ladder somewhere so it made it easier to say, you know what, the only way that I'm going to really, really find joy in making something from scratch as well as, you know, hopefully someday bring in something more than just a, a stepwise salary function in, in wealth. Uh, it's got to be something that you own. It's got to be something that you start. Yeah. So yeah, they've been both in both philosophically, they've been supportive. And I mean, when I was starting uh, PAC, I, I called my mom and dad and I said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm leaving Squidoo and I'm starting this new thing. You guys have been hearing me talk about this for a couple of years now and I'm going to go do it. And I had a five-month-old baby girl on my hands, which most people would be like, are you out of your mind? Yeah. Why are you, wow. you know, just take a paycheck for a while. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just, just, just sleep. I don't know. Uh, and my mom actually was the first to write me a check and be an investor. Uh, the next day, she, she wrote me a check and incredible. That's, that's awesome. 
So let's talk about yeah. Squidoo real quickly. Um, yes. So, I mean, obviously a very successful at, at its at its peak, uh, top 40, 30, 30 or 40 visited websites yeah. in the world. Uh, yeah, and, it was... and working with Seth Godin must have been amazing. Tell us a little bit about that experience and then why you decided then to subsequently tra- transition out and spin off and, and launch Pack. Sure. So when uh, Squidoo was a, a very interesting time because we started it in 2004 or five, and Pinterest didn't exist and Twitter mm. barely existed and, uh, you know, WordPress was new and Six Apart and TypePad were the new blogging craze was going on. Yeah. And we had this idea that you could easily create these pages that didn't have to be thematic blogs. You know, usually you'd have to have a blog on marketing or a blog on food or a blog on baseball. And we wanted to be able to just have people making these pages user-generated content on whatever their interests were without it having to all be organized in a blog, which is extremely hard to get traffic and get readership. You know, we wanted to be able to lump them all together. It was kind of like about.com or iVillage or AOL. It was like this amalgam of things that now sounds horribly outdated. And, you know, it didn't, there's a reason that if you go to Squidoo now, it was acquired and, and has been absorbed and you can't use it anymore. But at the time, it was it was a pretty interesting idea. Yeah. And so for me, it was funny because coming from uh, being an English major and an, an art history major and working in book publishing, I didn't know anything about running a technology company. Yeah. But I knew a lot about how people wrote and what drove them to write and how they wrote well and what sort of design they'd need and what sort of look and feel they need and what sort of story would resonate with them and how to do the marketing around that. So that's where Seth brought me in you know, we wound up starting the company together where he was able to give me a lot of room to learn that and, and make some mistakes and, and just keep learning. And we did it for about seven years. Amazing. Yeah. It, uh, treating, treating writers with respect and giving them room to write what they were actually passionate about uh, and then network them together was such a simple idea and it worked so well. Yeah, so it was like definitely that that's such a such a fascinating time in sort of web 1.0 and all these things were happening and no one really knew which direction it was it was going to end up as. You know, now yeah. everyone has a blog and anyone can 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 sort of do that and kind of build a following and but back then it was almost like the wild wild west, right? So it must have been just really 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 interesting. And you know, it's still interesting to me. I still don't feel like this has been solved properly. Where <laughs> so a friend, a friend of mine writes uh, a blog about uh, beauty stuff. Like she likes to go and get you know mm-hmm. soaps that you can put in the bathtub, and it's like a eucalyptus soap and bubble, and she'll re- review it. Right. And she writes these incredibly well-written blog posts about it on specifically this beauty review blog. But she can't get any traffic because you know you have to play an SEO game still. You have to be extremely yeah. put a lot of time into social media to try to drive drive people to that because she's just it's a siloed blog and it's alone. And even if you're on Medium, you know it takes a long time to rise up and have have an article really catch someone's attention. But if this if this friend of mine could be writing these beauty articles or soap reviews next to 10,000 other people who are all writing beauty articles and soap reviews and pointing to each other and they're incentivized to drive, you know, traffic to each other and recommend each other. That still doesn't exist. That's what Squiddy was doing. And I, I still feel like there could be a, 
a new version of that. Uh, it's funny how once you have an idea in your head and if you, if you don't see it fully realized, it's going to keep keep you up at night still. I yeah, haven't put that one to bed yet. That's really interesting. And I was I was going to ask you this a little bit later, but now that you brought it up, you know, the state of where we are now, um, and, and it's a bit, it's, it's like you said, it's still, there's still some unresolve there in the marketplace because I feel like we've kind of gone from where 2005, 2006 to maybe 2010, 11 was like deep into blogging and, and people building email lists and, and that still exists now. But like you said, you could be putting out really good, really good content now and just not get unnoticed because you are, because the flood of content out there is just overwhelming and you're probably getting passed over for stuff like video and, you know, Instagram and Snapchat. So right. it's kind of, is it, is it morphing? Do you think that like, are we, are you, if you're just a blogger and you're, that's your meat, that's your medium, so to speak, that you want to communicate in. Is it basically like, okay, you need to iterate now, you need to adapt, you need to start doing video and mobile and, and blah, blah, blah. Or do you, what's the Squidoo 2.0 where do they still have a chance, um, you know, as, as just a, let's say you're just a writer and you're, that's not your personality. You, you just like to sit and write, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of the, the, the same template of a question that's attacking the book industry where it's, you know, is someone going to sit down and read 288 pages of something? Mm. Uh, you know, most people can't get past the first chapter, um, right. or that that's where they stop. And so certainly short form, uh, is taking the day right now. You know, I listen to audiobooks all the time because yep. I don't make time to sit down and read books uh, <laughs> as much as I would or should or, or could. Um, but I still have this very romantic belief that people have things to say and the, the written word is never going to go away. Yeah. And that, okay, make, get to the point faster, maybe, or you better be <laughs> lyri or lyrical and beautiful and readable if you're going to take longer, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, I think it, 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 it's more about just really picking whatever your medium is going to be and just sticking with it, right? Like, yeah, there's you know, people who just that. stick with it. Yeah, like, sure, adapt and try new stuff and add video in or, you know, but if you're constantly hopping from like, now I'm on Snapchat, now I'm on Periscope, now I'm here, now I'm there, now I'm hosting a Twitter Q&A, like it's just, yeah, uh, that's something that I have admired about Seth always is that, God, that guy writes one blog post every day yep. and has done so for, I don't even know, 15 years yep. and doesn't miss a day. And there's a reason that, First of all, he's brilliant, but it's also just the consistency of what he's he's done, and he never stops. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. We'll we'll watch on the sidelines here, and hopefully, or maybe deep involved in it, and, yeah. and see how this all right, plays right. out. Okay, so so yeah. from from there to pack, tell tell us about that that transition. Right, right. So that was more about personal growth, mm. which sounds really touchy feely, but it was. Uh, so from just a pure founder point of view, I was ready to, there were new challenges to learn. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are telling the same story about the same product and it's just about adding another zero and another zero and another zero, that's a fun problem to have and a fun, a fun uh, game to play. But I wanted to build something from scratch all over again. And I had never done things like, I had assembled teams before, but I had never, I had never raised money before. Mm. Uh, I wanted to see what that, what that would be like. Uh, Squidoo was 
profitable after the first year and we never needed to to raise any money. I wanted to see if I could have a company that I thought I could that would integrate into a, a rapidly growing industry, which is the pets industry. And that was a whole new thing for me to learn how to do the, you know, high, high price uh, business development there and, uh, you know, much bigger partnerships than we were doing at Scooby. So I was interested in the, the personal challenge of, ta- of, of growing into that. Mm. Um, and then from the, the product perspective, it was just me as a rabid, uh, well, I guess rabid's not a good word, a rabid dog owner. <laughs> My dog's not rabid, a, an enthusiastic <laughs> dog owner. <laughs> and, uh, That's really funny. <laughs> a rabidly enthusiastic dog owner who, uh, you know, and you and I have talked so much about it, but it's like I... I really looked at all of the services and products and things that were coming down the the pipeline for pet owners and dog owners specifically and realizing that no one was actually taking the time to give the dog owners a place where they could organize and and hopefully kind of consolidate all of the things that were coming their way and make their life a little bit easier and um so the I was interested both in the opportunity to create the product and the opportunity to grow myself mm. uh and so you know, sometimes you got to jump in the, the deep end yeah, no, <laughs> in order that, to That takes a lot of courage, somewhere. but you definitely, you definitely jumped in the deep end and you, you leveled up yourself as a startup founder and entrepreneur. Um, yeah. And, and luckily PAC is also leveling up. I mean, it, that it's, it's going great. It's a lot of hard work, but it's, uh, continues to be a completely rewarding, uh, endeavor yeah. on so many levels. I'm sure. I'm sure. So that's really interesting. And congrats now on PAC. You've leveled up your yourself and Thanks. your yeah. proper startup owner and entrepreneur. So uh, well, I got asked this question the other day because I do a little bit of mentoring uh, here in Hong Kong. And she had a, yeah. uh, she has her baby, her, her pack, which is uh, some, uh, it's a, she wants to de- develop an app or something. And uh, okay. she, it was sure. her baby. And she was asking me, how do I find a, a, a co-founder? And she's like, I'm a non-technical founder. Uh-huh. I have the idea. It's my baby. But how do I find a good co-founder? And I, I couldn't answer because I've never been a startup founder. I, I just view things from sort of the funding side. And I said, um, you have to find one very carefully, but I'm sorry, I don't have any experience. <laughs> right. So, uh, but I figured I'd ask you because you do have experience. So what, what would you tell uh, this, this young aspiring uh, founder? Oh, so uh, first of all, so like that's a, such a common question and I'm not degrading the question at all. I'm having a lot of empathy for it because there's so many people that are extremely bright and they can bring the business sense to things they can bring product or design or they can bring but they they don't know how to actually create the product right but they actually do like the best advice that i can give is that if there's if there's nothing that you can test or prove without a without a line of code then you're not being creative enough about (laughs) you got to come up with a weather balloon and if you come up with a weather balloon so for example for pack I didn't have a I didn't have a team yet. It was just me, right? I hadn't now I had a lot of people that if I were able to get funding first and I could have gone to them with a big paycheck and said, Here, you know, I'd like to hire you. But that's that's very different from from finding a, a co founder. Right. And so what I did was and I had been working on the idea for a while, is I just set up a MailChimp account and I created a bunch of breed newsletters, mm-hmm. breed specific newsletters. Mm-hmm. So like the Pug Pack newsletter and the Rhodesian Ridgeback newsletter and the Vishla newsletter. 
Uh, and I started telling people and emailing people and going to meetups and really just kind of uh, trying to do email, get email signups for those breed newsletters. Right. Now, you don't need anybody technical for that. You know, I, you can figure out MailChimp yourself mm -hmm. and go to meetups and email anybody. And so I got, you know, for each one of those, I got like 5,000 people for each one of these to sign up to these newsletters. And I worked at it for a couple months. And it would just spend like an hour a day at it. But, you know, with that in hand, if you can say, look, without even, uh, you know, you know, I don't have a team yet. I don't have a dollar of investment, but I've already got 15,000 people signed up to these newsletters, you know, as the case may be, like, that's uh, some sort of proof that you're not necessarily showing traction for a product, but you're showing that you've got some determined number of people who are interested in what you're going to do. That's something that uh, somebody will say, oh, well, I now understand that I can build for an audience and that, and that I'm going to trust that you can build the audience while I'm building the thing. Yeah, it's so powerful to have that audience of core sort of followers, you know, and people underestimate actually how, how much that's actually worth. <laughs> right, right. And if you want to make a, an app for raising chickens or you know, in the backyard or something, it's like, okay, well... It's it's not hard to imagine. Uh, so you go to a couple of conferences for livestock, or you talk to people. You start to send out questions and say, "Hey, can I interview you? You know, ask three questions about this." You can start a uh, a blog about it, and you know, it's there's a lot of like soft tissue things that are not um, uh, developer coding related that that you can do to kind of see if there's anyone even willing to talk about it, if it's interesting. That, um, you know, I have so many friends who are engineers uh, who they're so afraid of making something that no one's going to use. Mm -hmm. They want to make something that is going to be wildly used. Yeah. Uh, so if you, can, if you can show them that in advance, then it's way easier to find somebody who would want to team up with you, I think. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I admire about you as a startup founder is, is the way that you've, you've kept sort of your your team and ex like extremely extremely lean and and just really you're, <laughs> yeah. you're you're like a true startup founder and i think i feel like there was this wave in the last five years or, or maybe a little bit more where after the movie the social network came out everyone you know everyone packed up to the gold rush out west and wanted to be a startup founder and just started trying to get <laughs> right. money vc money and 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 it just they, they went about it the wrong way and people were cutting checks that they shouldn't have been cutting to people that shouldn't sure. have been starting companies and uh, it, the whole thing became a mess. But I think when you scale that back and you, you look at real founders and say simple things, like you said, just building a small audience, trying to, you know, build something that the audience wants, as opposed to trying to work it the other way, building something and then finding the audience afterwards. I mean, right. Those are just basic things that I think a lot of people, the young startup founders now, inexperienced startup founders, they kind of skip over and they miss that. And they kind of, they want to go to straight to their fundraising round and get all the glamour sure. and hype of it, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I missed that part. That wasn't in my DNA because I'm I'm such a boring person. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I want to work on my product and I want to spend time with my family and my dog. Yeah. You know, like that's I'm not out there trying to. Uh, I don't know. I'm not looking for a, a Forbes magazine cover or right. something like that. I'm not looking, um, but you know, there's, there's the certain things that keep you awake at night where you're like, okay, well, I'm working on a, a dog company right now. And while I know all of the, 
the amazing benefits that come out of that and come out of uh, pet ownership. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm no, I'm not uh, solving worldwide problems. You know, I'm not, I'm not bringing uh, internet to underdeveloped nations and I'm not creating the next Tesla and solar energy. <laughs> and so it's kind of like you have to, you have to carve out your own interesting niche and then make it really matter to you. You know, but there, there's a lot of that self-awareness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So why don't you just tell our audience, uh, maybe give us uh, the quick blurb on what, what you're up to at PAC right now. Oh, cool. So PAC is uh, doing some interesting things where we grew really quickly in terms of membership, in terms of, you know, people and their dogs joining the site and saying, hey, I've got a corgi and I want to meet all these other corgi owners and I'll design cool stuff for my corgi. Mm -hmm. um, but we made the mistake of not creating a revenue bearing product early enough on. So we grew very quickly, but we weren't right. making any month on month uh, recurring revenue, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> and, right. and uh, you know, we, we'd sell occasional sponsorships so that would be pretty big ticket sponsorships. So we'd say, get a little relief and say, okay, you know, we can, we can uh, li live to fight another couple months, but mm -hmm. This was, believe it or not, as as much as it's been a, a little bit of a nightmare, where you're going, God, I need to I need to get some revenue on the books. We had to take this risk because the whole plan has been that if you get enough people on the site, then we can start selling things into them, not in a callous, you know, salesy way, but because we so understand who our members are, and we talk to them a lot, and we survey them, and we know what they're doing, and we're we're learning from them. We're learning what kind of dog owners and pet parents they are. We're actually able to either develop our own things or partner with people to say, hey, this is actually a curated thing that we want to offer to the pack community exclusively or at a tremendous value or a tremendous discount or something like that. Mm. Um, and so I'm really excited that we're, uh, there's a couple of things coming in the next month or two that we're going to be able to actually start selling into the community in a way that it's benefits that they get that because they're part of this pack that they can't get, they, they truly can't get anywhere else. Right. Um, so that, you know, if I can prove that out, if I can, even if it's small revenue, it, if it's recurring, um, recurring sales that tell me that the, the customers and the dog owners that we have like the stuff that we're putting in front of them, that's also, you know, that's something that becomes a much more valuable company. Yeah, I mean, and back to what you were saying, you know, I mean, you already have your, you basically already have your customers. I mean, you've, you've spent so much time building right. these, these different interest lists. So it's, you've done a lot of the work ahead of time, which I think is great. Well, it's interesting. I mean, that's why, you know, we'll get like, uh, somebody's running a pet, a pet cam, uh, right? They've put tons of money into developing the hardware for this in-home pet cam. Uh, and I'm just saying that generically. I forget what the company is called, but they just reach out to us. They're like, "Hey, we've got this thing. We'd love to be able to tell your community about it because they don't have any sort of direct access to those people on their own." And so it's this this really interesting thing where we've built up such a powerful group of pet owners that okay, now is the time when there's a lot of other people who want to start start reaching that. And how do we decide how to do that? What with a lot of integrity and you know know what our our customers what our members want. Uh, so it's a it's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So Megan, we, I, I want to look to wrap up. I'm super mindful and respectful of time here. I just have two last questions for you. Uh, the first one is, what is the one piece of advice that you can give to our young, aspiring 
entrepreneurs that per- perhaps want to start a, a company uh, in, in the coming year, uh, what, what one piece of advice would you give them? Oh, man, what piece of advice do you give them? <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I want to learn from you. What do you No, Really? What do you say? Well, you know, I, to be honest, I the, what I usually say is you have to look, I, I, I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk and he's he was yeah. on the show. Uh, I had a conversation with him a couple weeks back and his his most important piece of advice is also the one that I think is actually, I agree with, and it's self-awareness. It's basically, mm. you can't, you know, as much as I, I would love to be LeBron James, I have to realize that I'm not going to be LeBron James <laughs> and I'm not going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. So you got to just understand that. And I think a lot of young young kids come out very with this fantasy or they, you know, they have these ideals that they, you know, it's good to have big hopes and dreams, I, you know, but um, I, I think you have to be real as well. And, uh, and you don't have to just aim for the stars. Uh, you can start small and you can, yeah. you can build and build and, uh, and still be very successful as a startup founder. So, I mean, that's what I would say, <laughs> but I, I kind of cheated because I, <laughs> I'm coming to you for advice way more often, Jay. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely second that. I'm trying to think of, like, I'm playing the game in my head of what I would have told myself, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, if, yeah. I, if I could say, oh, Megan, here's what you should do. And it's, I think it's got to be about, so I've been working a little bit uh, as a side project with uh, a guy named Mark Rampola who founded Zico Coconut Water. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever right. had that. He sold it to Coca-Cola yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah. And he's now doing investing via uh, power plant ventures where they invest in uh, new food technology and feeding the world in, in humane, sustainable new ways. Um, but he's just this really good guy, and we've been uh, doing a couple little projects. And what I've taken away from him, and he just recently wrote a book uh, that I've internalized as my own recently, is that when he was ready to start Zico Coconut, the new, the new company, Right. He had been in big corporate and was kind of like, you know, I've got to have something bigger to to contribute. And he and his wife went through this really interesting exercise of he's like, hey, you know, I could I could solve the trucking industry. And she's like, yeah, but do you really want to do that? You know, is that personally passionate and interesting for you? Yeah. And they'd say, oh, but I, I could do this or I could do that. And she was always this sounding board that would go back to him and say, but that's not going to bring you any sort of joy and it doesn't really solve a real problem in the world. Right. And so... The thing that I've started thinking about more is that it's about asking the question, not just like how much money can I make for myself from this, but what good can I do for other people from this? Because if you can do good for other people, then you're going to, the money problem is going to, going to probably solve itself. If you have thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people doing better and living better lives or whatever the metric is because of the thing that you've created. Yeah, that's and so that's true. And that's very different from just making an app where you're like, yeah, I can slap a $4 price tag on this and sell, you know, 100,000 of them and have a nice little lifestyle company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's great advice, actually. Yeah. So it's kind of like if, if you want to become a billionaire, uh, help a billion people or something like that. Yeah. I, I can't remember which... I said that, but yeah, that's a very famous quote as well. Last question for you: Where can people find you or follow you, and uh, and 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 get updated on what you the exciting stuff you're doing at Pack? Believe it or not, they they can just write me an email. <laughs> I'm not a. <laughs> I am so I'm such a hermit these days, and that I'm so focused on Pack that it's really like I'm not 
uh, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not really posting a lot of stuff. I'm not talking about myself that much. I'm just right. so heads down doing this. Uh, but I'm That's awesome. extremely quick on email. So if anybody wants to, you know, ask a question or ask for advice or you can write me at Megan at packdog.com and I would love to talk. Wow, guys, that is this is a rarity because usually <laughs> startup founders are so busy they will never answer your email. So I'm not saying take I'm this gonna be smart. <laughs> It'll be a smart. Remote. Megan is offering free advice if you write to her at, at her email address. Right. So definitely hit her up. That's right. Thank you so much for being on. I had a great time talking with you, and I uh, really appreciate having you on the uh, podcast. And thanks for all the advice. And uh, best of luck with Pack. Thank you. I always have fun talking to you. All right. Take care, Megan. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.